You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. This morning we are going to be continuing in our series called Getting Spiritually Fit or Getting in Shape is what we're going to be talking about. And we've been discussing spiritual disciplines. There's two places of, uh, of Scripture I'd like for you to turn to this morning. Go to Revelation chapter 3. That's not on our overhead. That's just another place I want us to hit. Revelation chapter 3, and then put your finger in Matthew 6. Revelation chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 6. As we continue this discussion on discipline, spiritual discipline, we all would agree this morning that being physically fit is important, but much more important than that is being spiritually fit. In your notes this morning, read this out loud with me. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, Train yourself to be, for physical training is of, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, and the life to come. So we know that being spiritually fit is important. Yeah, being physically fit is important too, especially when you have a snowpocalypse. You know, you want to be physically fit, that you can trudge through all the snow like we did this week. How many have enjoyed the snow? How many of you are living in North Carolina because you don't like snow? Okay, yeah, I get it. I enjoyed the snow from the confines of my nice, warm house inside. I don't do the outside stuff. Uh, my kids do, but they, that's, that's not me. So these spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, and the first one was what? How many of you remember the first disciplines that we talked about? Prayer and? I, I'm sure you remember the fasting because you're still in the middle of the fast, right? Listen, if you've fallen off the wagon, jump back on. Just get right back on it. Um, my son the other day, my youngest son, Joshua, tried to convince me to go to McDonald's. And uh, I said, boy, we're on a fast. And he goes, right, fast food. <laughs> Boy's got issues. Boy's got issues. So we talked about prayer and fasting. We talked about silence and solitude last week. And this week we're going to discuss something uh, that honestly, I'm just going to throw it out to you right now. It may be uncomfortable. It may be uncomfortable. But how many of you know that sometimes when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we feel a sense of discomfort, I mean, that's something to rejoice over. There's, there's, listen, the things that the Holy Spirit wants to speak into my life um, are things that He wants to shift and change in order to release me into the plans and purposes that He has. I don't know anybody who thinks change is easy. I don't know anybody who readily embraces change for themselves. There's some people who like change. They're just weird. I don't know. But for the most part, when it comes to changing character, when it comes to changing attitudes, uh, that kind of change can be very, very, very difficult. And today we're going to talk about simplicity and service. Two things that um, sometimes fly in the face of our society. Do you know why fasting and prayer and solitude and silence, as well as simplicity and service, are difficult? Because in all of these disciplines, it forces us or challenges us to take our eyes off ourselves. How hard is that? Don't you know we are a people who look 
for themselves, after themselves. We're, we're numero uno, right? And if you don't believe you're that kind of a person, my challenge to you is this. The next time you are in a group picture, ask yourself who you're looking for first. I guarantee you, you're scanning the picture to find who? Me, right? And, and listen, everybody in the entire picture could have had a horrible picture day. But if you look good, it's going on the wall, right? Right. Because we're, 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 what? we're, we're a me first, us first kind of people. Um, and we got to shake that. We got to change that. And that becomes difficult. Let me ask you a question this. I'm going to make an admission this morning. That's an embarrassing one. Um, but, first, let me ask this. How many of you own an article of clothing that would probably look best in the trash can? Anybody? So, so I own one of those. It's a shirt. Uh, my wife has been begging me for years just to, you know, go ahead and, and put it on the altar and burn it. You know, it's a 15-year-old shirt. How many of you have one of those old shirts that you just love? Yeah, you would never wear it in public, right? Never wear This shirt is worn so thin. It has so many holes in it that literally, it, it really does nothing for me at all. Really does nothing for my wife at all either. I promise you that. This shirt is bad. And, and, and yet I continue to wear it. You know why? It's comfortable. I don't want to change. I just enjoy this feeling of, of this shirt that, that's just me. You know, if we're not careful as believers, we'll continue to put on that shirt called self because it's comfortable, because we've always done it, and because, honestly, we don't want, we don't want to change. But how many of you know that if we're ever going to become not just the people but the church that God has called us to be, we have to strip away self. You weren't created for you. You were not created for you. God, God wove into our DNA two things. Love him and love others. To love him and to love others. And when we begin to live out how we've been created, there you would find your happiness. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be happy. Who in here does not want to be happy? Right. All of us want to be happy. All of us do. And I find in my life, and I'm sure you find this in your life, I, I am most happy when I am most in alignment with what God wants for me. I become fulfilled. I've never, you, you put it this way, you will never run hard enough and long enough and fast enough chasing after yourself to find, and then find satisfaction. You won't. You'll continue to run all the years of your life and, and, and die miserably. And God is calling us to be a people who would live simply and live a life of service. Let's, let's see what he says in Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and, and we're going to start in verse 14. This is a letter that is being written, and, and understand who it's going to. It's going to a church. Christians, believers. Jesus is speaking to a church in Laodicea. In a lot of ways, the church of Laodicea um, can mirror the church of America. You'll see for yourself. Okay, starting in verse 14. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. He says this, I know all the things that you do, and I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Be one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. How many of you know if Jesus were to be standing in front of us today proclaiming those same words, that would get our attention? We, 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 would, we would want to stop, wouldn't we? Our ears would perk up. Our, our antennas would be beeping. And we'd be holding on to every word that he said. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wrote these words because he still wants to speak to us today. Therefore, we need to be paying attention to the words. Now, now listen to what he says here. You're lukewarm, right? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But, but listen to what he says in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Did you catch that? I, I, I. When you live a life like that, it turns into I, I, I. <laughs> Because your life is all about you. And let me tell you something, life is not about you. And it's so interesting. Catch what happened here. There was a cause and effect. Life became all about me. And all of a sudden, I find myself in lukewarm living. They go hand in hand. When I feel like my possessions, I'm good, Lord, I'm good. When it comes to my comfort, Lord, that's what I want. When I become someone who is content in what I have and what I am, I find myself in the face of the Lord having to hear the same words, you are lukewarm. And the kingdom is not about lukewarm living. It's, not, it's about being white hot in our passion for him. Can I ask you a question this morning? How passionate are you for the kingdom today? Because if we're passionate about it, you know what it'll do? It'll be demonstrated in our lives, right? So I watched the football game last week. How many of you guys watched some football last week when Minnesota beat the Saints? Like on the last play of the game, Minnesota throws a pass. It's unbelievable. And all the fans just sat there motionless. Right? No. The entire stadium almost blew its lid. Like, collectively, they all lost their marbles. All at the same time. There was such passion. They were cheering. They were waving flags. They were doing some weird skull thing because they're Viking fans and not Panther fans. And they're weird. But that's what they were doing. And listen, listen. There was what? Passion. Passion. When somebody looks at my life, I wonder what they see. Do they see passion or do they see complacency? Am I lukewarm or is my hair on fire for the kingdom of God? That's the kind of people, that's the kind of church, that's the kind of campus that God will take and do miraculous supernatural things. And how many of you know this world needs the miraculous and it needs the supernatural today? We need it. And here's the cool thing about that. The world needs it. And so where did God place you? In the world. 
You're in the world. You are his conduit. Okay, freak out about that for a second. Seriously. You have been called by God to be an instrument in his hands. Oh, if that doesn't, if that doesn't freak you out, I don't know what will. How cool is that? Now, now the question becomes, am I living that? So, so this morning what we want to do is we want to trade in this nasty shirt called self. And as Jesus would say, to buy white garments from him. Garments that are all about the kingdom. Okay, so let's, let's first get a working definition of what simplicity is. Okay, write this down in your notes. The spiritual disciplines of simplicity and service help us confront the greatest obstacle to godliness, which is self-centered living. I know none of you are guilty of that, right? Just me. I, I, t- I, tend, to, I tend to be that guy. Right? Self-centered living. That's what it is. It, it, it's, exa- it's like living a simple life. So what does a simple life mean? It means that my possessions, right? My purpose, my possessions, my goals, my ambitions, everything. You know what? They're not about me. They're about him. I'm simply a steward of my resources. Simplicity doesn't mean that, you know, you have to go sell your house, sell your possessions, get a cabin out in the woods and live out there. Although that sounds really nice, doesn't it? This is life of solitude and simplicity. But what it does mean is that we exercise and remember the reality that we are simply stewards. Now, I'm a steward of everything. You know this? You own nothing. <laughs> you own nothing. Not even your children are yours. You're, you're, you're a steward for his glory. And when we stop clinging on to possessions and they become the most important thing, you know what? We find life. I know a lot of miserable, miserable people who have lots of stuff. And I also know some of the most fulfilled individuals um, who have nothing. Why? Because they're operating in the design that God has for their life. And when we operate like that, it's good living. It's good living. The spiritual discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Simplicity reorients our lives so that possessions and pursuits can become genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Listen, our possessions and our pursuits are not evil. But when our possessions possess us, that's when we got a problem. That's when we have a problem. So check out Matthew chapter 6. Let's get to Matthew chapter 6 real quick. So Jesus is speaking to people about simplistic living. He says, and that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest, store in food barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? How true is that? How many of you have really practiced the art of worrying so much that your circumstances change? I've, I've, never, I've never found that in my life. Like, if I just worry really hard, everything will be okay. Right? No, worry is not adding to anything except for my distraction that God is still on the throne. 
If I'm worrying, my eyes are off his kingdom authority. If I'm worrying, I begin to start to look to me as my provider. If I'm worrying, I'm trying to figure it out. Instead of recognizing my provision comes from him. We have a lot of people who use a lot of spiritual duct tape, right? We try to fix it ourselves. When, when, when the Lord is saying, just give it to me. Stop your worrying. And now verse 28, it says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at all the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon and all of his glory did not dress as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for you, for the wildflowers, I'm sorry, that are here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father, and I want you to do this if you're okay with marking up your Bible, I want you to underline no's. But your heavenly Father knows, circle that, highlight all your needs. You see, that word knows in, in, in the Greek, most of the time when you read in the Greek, it's gnosko. Gnosko. The Greek word for knows is gnosko. Like, like, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, bacon is like really amazing. You would say, gnosko, right? I know that. This is not the word that God uses here. Jesus uses the word okeos. Okeos. And it's got such a powerful meaning. That word meaning, is that word no in that section is the same word that you will find in Galatians 6.10. Listen to Galatians 6.10. It says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That word household... And that word no is the same Greek word, meaning this. When Jesus was saying your heavenly father knows, he's talking about something that only within a family would they know about. That if you're a part of this family, you should know that I got you covered. It's a family value. It's a family value. And every single family has family values, right? Think of your family right now. You've got some family values, right, in your family? Please? Okay. <laughs> what are some of the family values? Just give me a couple. What are some of your family values? Honesty. Respect. Loyal? Is that what I heard? Loyal. Another one. What's that? Love. What about hard work? I mean, my, my kids, we play hard, but when it's time to work, we, we work hard. Listen, there's, there's family values that we expect in my family to be walked out. And you know what? They're not optional in my home. Such a dictator, huh? No, but it's important. If my family is going to function at its highest level, then my family needs to follow our family values. <laughs> and, and, and my kids can't come up to me and say, yo, dad, um, that whole respect thing, eh. I'll do the other ones, but that one, eh. Well, you know my response to them? Um, your mama's going to whoop you. <laughs> right? Can I venture to say that there's too many people in the family of God who thinks that some of his family values are optional. That I'll, I'll follow this one, because I like that one. 
or I'll follow this one. That one's easy. But, but he didn't ask you to follow what was easy. He t- didn't ask. He told us that we are to follow the family values that he set out before us. What are those values? Well, it's almost like what the young lawyer asked Jesus, right? What are the two biggest commandments? What are your two biggest family values, you might say? And he would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Can you love somebody without serving somebody? My wife would tell me no. And and, and why? Because it's my actions that demonstrate my love. It's my actions that demonstrate my love. Can I ask a question this morning? Are your actions demonstrating your family values? Write this down. The the central point for the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his kingdom first, and then everything necessary will come into proper order. Listen, when we do that, this is what happens, is we begin to live a healthy pace of life. When, I, when, when, my, when it's not about me, and, 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 and I'm not so worried about stuff, I live a healthy pace of life. How many of you are pretty busy? Right? Okay, how many of you need a job, I guess, because nobody else? <laughs> I'm trying to buy a car, man, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, we, we, we're busy. And I would say that the more that we focus on us, We'll continue to be busy. God wants us to live a, a healthy pace of time, a healthy pace of life. I'm sorry. Second one is a healthy view of your possessions. Like I said before, we are stewards. It was 1845, and um, in fact, I'm going to show you that the, there's there's a um, sculpture that's in Ireland. Let me let me show you. In fact, we got a picture right there. Each of those feathers are 20 feet in, in height, stainless steel this sculpture, and it's in Ireland, County Cork. How many of you know that there's not a lot of Native Americans from Ireland? So why is that thing there? Well, in 1845, there was the Great Potato Famine. I'm sure you've heard that. Two million people, one million emigrated, another million died of starvation. And there was this Native American tribe, they're called the Choctaw, they lived in the deep south, and they were the ones that were put and forced on a trail of tears. Almost uh, a third of their population was killed along the way. And when they got to the west of the Mississippi, the land that they'd been put on, they'd heard about these Irishmen who were dying and starving. So they scraped together 175 bucks. This decimated, broke, hurting people comes out to about $5,000 today. But it was all that they had. And they shipped it to Ireland. And they said, your story is our story. They had a proper perspective of possessions that said, with this, although it's mine, we can make a difference. And so they've commemorated that with this sculpture Right there. Listen to the words that the Irish said. said, just when they thought that nobody cared, a group from across the world reached out to lend a helping hand. These people were still recovering with their own injustice, and they put their hands in their pockets, and they helped strangers 
It's rare to see such generosity. Isn't that good? You see the impact we can make when it's not our stuff? You see the impact we can make when there's a simplicity and a stewardship principle that says, Lord, use me in, in any way, shape, or form you would have me be used. And there is, you know what they look like? They look like the Macedonian church. This Choctaw nation. Listen to this Macedonian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, And now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed into rich generosity. Isn't that wild? They had so much joy as a church, so much joy knowing the Lord, that what happened was it translated into them being a giving community. A giving community. When they were probably one of the poorest churches in the area. It's this standpoint again. It's this position again of saying, God, I want to never be lukewarm. And whatever you would ask of me, Father, there I go. And listen, while this might be talking about finances, listen, if, if, you're, if you're getting trapped by just thinking in terms of money, you're being trapped in the wrong way. Because it's your talents, it's your resources, it's your gifting. It's all that you are. You know what's amazing? God doesn't want just part of you. He wants all of you. That's how, that's how precious you are to Him. He wants you entirely. And a healthy, write this down, a healthy stewardship of abilities and talents. Now, we want to talk about the discipline of service too. How many of you know sometimes serving is hard? But how many of you know that if you're going to find true life, it comes through serving? Man, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I've never failed to see individuals who like maybe, maybe go out on a missions trip. And they're, and they're ha- I mean, they save money, they're spending money now to be able to go on this trip. They're tired, they're worn out, they're serving people. I have n- not yet failed to see individuals on that flight home just so stoked by what God has done. In their lives, too. I've, God never fails to replenish and restore and to give in abundance to those people who are spending their resources in abundance. And I'm talking about the resources of the talents and their gifts. When we pour ourselves out, he pours our himself in. And that's what he does. Listen, he, but it's not always easy. Matt, so, so quick story, I'm going to get you out of here. In Matthew chapter 20, you can read that this week. Even the disciples had a hard time with this whole serving thing. Isn't that cool to know that the disciples dealt with like hard stuff that was challenging for them? Seriously, I love that. I, I love to hear these great men of God who were, you know, dorks like me. Which is fantastic for me and my self-esteem. So James and John, they're brothers. They're walking. Jesus is walking. And James and John has Jesus. And they say, um, hey, Jesus, so you know what would be awesome? Like, really cool when we go to heaven james wants to sit on your left side and i want to sit on your right side right on and 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 so how many of you think the other disciples are just like really happy with james and john right now okay no jesus replies to them this way he says whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave And, and and i can only see james and john going Dang it. Man. But we had that one. See, they even struggle with serving. 
They struggle with serving because you know what? Serving always forces us to take our eyes off of I. Takes my eyes off of I. Write this down real quick. I'm going to get you out of here. Through the service, through discipline of service, this is what we do. We follow the model of Jesus. We die to ourselves as we serve others, and we grow in the grace of humility. How many of you would say that's all kind of cool stuff? It's all good stuff. How many of you would say that's where life is found? I, um, I think it's so important, this aspect of serving, that in your worship guide you'll see on February 11th, we're going to take some time after service. And, and, and we're going to be talking about opportunities here, the Grace Covenant, to become engaged in serving. And we want you all there. It's going to be after the last service. And, um, and, and so what we want you to do is to be able to hear what opportunities are there, what they entail, so that you can begin to pray and see, okay, Lord, how would you use me? Um, all you got to do, we would ask you to RSVP. And the reason we want you to RSVP is because... Um, you know, just do this right now. Go ahead and raise your hand and just, symbol, yeah, everybody just raise your hand up to God. And what we're saying, um, thankfulness, because on that day, there's going to be chicken. Praise you, Jesus. Mashed potatoes. Lord, we love you for mashed potatoes. Okay, you put your hands back down. Um, but all that's going to be there. And so we want to have enough for everybody. So you're just going to go to our website, gracecovenant.org. Click on events. And register. There'll be child care provided. But listen, people, listen. It's time to be a people who move beyond just words. We are called to be a people who are passionate and doers of the word. So many of us will just become too comfortable by being just hearers of the word. No. God said, be doers of the world. And when you do, my people will be a representation of my love to this world. God wants to do that in you, and he wants to do that through you. I was reading an article in Forbes magazine where a lady was making the case that too many companies today are worried about their employees' happiness. So that's backwards thinking. Don't be worried about their happiness. That sounds weird, right? But then she went on to say this. Make your company a place where people are passionate about the product. Because in those moments where happiness is not going to be found, they will still be so connected to the mission that they'll push through anything. Did you catch that? There's a lot of wisdom in that. Instead of our happiness, let's be a people who are more concerned about the mission that we've been given. We've been given a mission by God to get outside these walls and to make a difference wherever He has placed us, whether that's in our schools, whether that's in our, our, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, wherever. You are a people on a mission. Are you living like a people on a mission? Because the only thing that matters is that God has called you. He has called you. Say to the person next to you, He has called you. So what are you doing about it? Honestly, what are you doing about it? He's loving you. He sent His Son for you. And now He's saying, go love other people. Go love other people. So Lord, this morning, we're a people who are passionate for you. And God, all we want to do is be able to serve you. 
And so, Father, I pray you would revive within each and every single one of us a hunger and a thirst for you, Lord God, for you primarily and above all other things, Lord. And let that passion, Lord, let that result in us just being open, available, and willing to be used by you, God. You've given every single individual in here talent, Lord God, and giftings that are unique and designed just for them. And so, Father, I pray that they would just begin to walk in that. They would begin to exercise that, Father. They would have faith and boldness and courage to step out of their, their safety zones, Lord God. Father, I pray that we'd be a people hungry, hungry for you. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.